Whether disasters are happening on a global scale or in your personal sphere, these are difficult times that require prophetic insight from God in order to be at rest. This is Sam Solon inviting you to the continuing study of the book of Revelation. We'll continue to look at who is in the house of darkness and who is in the house of God. Now, I want to, I want to focus on uh, this, this word. It's the word nomos, N-O-M-O-S, nomos. It means law, law, it's the Greek word for law or order, nomos, law or order. So oikonomia, the term oikos and nomos put together, oikonomia, nomos, oikos, oikos, nomos. The word nomos is order or law, and it relates to the structure, the governance, the procedure, the paradigm of order. So the oikonomia, the house order, so the order of the house, oikos house, nomos, order or law, God gives forth an economy which is the order of His house. Because the house is ever increasing in glory, the house is ever increasing in maturity. Okay? With the increase in maturity, the economy, the weight, the, the power that is now being available to the house is greater and greater. This principle is established for us in the book of Galatians, the fourth chapter, which says, the son, while he is yet a child, is subject to tutors and governors, although he owns the whole house. And he's subject to tutors and governors until the time set by his father. So when the announcement of Jesus was prophetically made in the book of Isaiah, it says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The child who is born is not the son, is not, is not given at the point where he's born. <clears throat> he's given when he comes to maturity. And so indeed is the picture of Christ who is born as a babe in Bethlehem, 
But when God gives him to the world, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, he's at the age of 30. A child is born to become the son who is given, so it's, he's, he grows up into his role and he grows up to take on his full and complete function. So one of the functions of the son is to be the radiance of his father's glory, the radiance of his father's glory. Um, I, I want to look at that word, uh, the, the, the light or the radiance of his father's glory. There are many words for, for light or brightness or radiance. Uh, fortinos, P-H-O-T-E-I-N-O-S, Fortinos. We get the word photo from that. Fortinos, and it means bright, uh, uh, full of light, and we're familiar with that in regards to photography. There's Lampros, L-A-M-P-R-O-S. It also means bright and shining, as in clear, goodly, godly, Lampros, even sumptuously. And a derivative of it is Lamprotes, L-A-M-P-R-O-T-E-S, which is akin to brightness. But that's not the one that is used in Hebrews 1.3, defining the sun. It says, for the sun is the brightness of his father's glory and the image of God's expression. These are very critical things because they play exquisitely into the picture of how God means to overthrow Satan with the, quote, brightness of his coming. He overthrows the man of lawlessness with the brightness of his appearing. And we're going to look at those words. This word for brightness is not Lamprotis or Lampros or Fortinos. It is the word apogasma. Apogasma. It's spelled A P A U G A S M A. Apogasma. And what it means is a shining forth. It's light or luminous coming from a body such as in Christ. And that's the reference in, 1 in Hebrews 1, 3. Apogasma, the effulgence, the shining forth, the reflected brightness. Now, consider that term as it's used in this scripture. Defining the man of lawlessness, it says the following because we're coming down to this conflict between those who dwell on earth, those who dwell in heaven, between the beast and the sun. The sun 
consists of those who dwell in heaven. The kingdom of the cosmos rules over those who dwell on the earth. So look with me to the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and I want to read verses 8 through 11. Now here, actually let's go back up and read from uh, the mystery of lawlessness, verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness, and again we talked about the word for lawlessness, which was the word uh, comprising uh, of two words, nomia, N-O-M-I-A, nomia, and anomia. So the word for law is the word nomos, the word for lawless is anomia, you add the word a to it, uh, which is a common construction in both Greek and the English language, uh, anormal, uh, uh, asymmetrical, you add just the, the term a and it, it produces the opposite. So asymmetrical means there's nothing symmetrical about it. So asymmetrical warfare is more like warfare where you use roadside bombs uh, to detonate as convoys are passing. Uh, military, military leaders began to refer to that tactic as asymmetrical warfare as opposed to going up where the enemy is and dropping in troops and you know, their front lines and well-defined uh, um, lines of conflict. Asymmetry means it'll come at you from any direction. Anomia means lawless, without order, anomia the lawless one, without the law, wicked hands being another reference to it, uh, were doing what is unlawful, a flagrant defiance of the known will of God. Uh, these are some of the meanings of anomia. Alright, so for the mystery of lawlessness, anomia, it's a mystery because we are primarily familiar with the conventions of lawlessness. It'll behave in a certain way, but the mystery of lawlessness, or we're, I'm sorry, we're, we're familiar with the conventions of order and governance and right conduct. It's by that that we hold people accountable. But anomia, lawlessness is a mystery. We don't know quite what it will do. Now, we're of course setting up a discussion of the second beast of Revelation 13 who arises out of where he dwells, the earth. He arises out of the earth and he causes people to worship the beast and to make an image of the beast. 
which contrasts to the image of Christ. And they're two very different words. The image of Christ is the word character. The image of the beast is an icon, E-I-K-O-N, very different meanings. All right? But let's deconstruct the mystery of lawlessness. It says, for the mystery of, the law, of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, the antinomian, the anomia, will be revealed. So there's a revealing of the lawless one. There's a revealing of the lawless one. Again, if you're thinking primarily of, well, is some political figure the lawless one or not, you're basically missing the point. Because this is an environment when the lawless one is revealed, it's an environment of speech and sound. This horn is waging war against the saints and he's saying great things and blasphemous things. So it's propaganda warfare. And those who dwell in heaven understand the spirit of the conflict. They understand what's behind what is being said, not only what is being said. Now how are you going to understand that unless your own mind has been renewed, unless the name of the Father is on your forehead, unless you are spiritually minded. You're going to be deceived if you don't know It's not just about quoting the scripture, it's not knowing Bible, it's knowing what it means by revelation. Look, look, when Satan came to tempt Jesus, did he not quote the scriptures? If you are the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread, was his opening bid. Jesus said, quoting the scriptures, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. He takes Jesus where Jesus is at the moment he's hungry, having been in a state of fasting for 40 days. But because Jesus quoted the scriptures, what does the enemy do immediately? the second temptation, he quotes the scriptures. It is written, it is written. Now, so we know he's going to quote the scriptures. If you are a dweller on the earth, you will say, hmm, well, he has to be right because he's quoting the scriptures. I had, a, I had a fascinating example one time. I was dealing with an evil spirit in a person. 
the person in question was emaciated because he had developed a disdain for food. The way he had, the way this worked was when he was a boy, his father always used the dinner hour to bully the family. It was extremely unpleasant at dinner time, uh, this man said. And he would, he would only move his food around on the plate and not eat much of it because he was, his mind was too occupied with defending himself against the railings of his father. So he developed a hatred for food because he associated food with the berating of his father in that, in that environment. So when, I'm de- when I was dealing with this man, I said to him, or I said, uh, I, we're dealing here with a spirit that means to kill you through starvation. You're not getting enough nourishment. <laughs> and promptly the Spirit spoke back to me and I was doing a demonstration in a group of people I was training to discern spirits. The Spirit spoke back to me using the voice of the man and said, you know, the Word does say, man shall not live on bread alone. (laughs) I paused and I said to the people, what do you think? What are you discerning here? Different one says, well, it has, he has to be right because he's quoted the scripture. And, but the, in general, the whole group was stumped. There may have been 15 people. The, the, the person had volunteered um, to, to, be, uh, to have the blockages removed in his, in his soul um, and that had all been previously arranged and so uh, there, we, no one was taking advantage of him, it was a training exercise. But the benefit would have been that he himself would be released from whatever spirit was discerned. But most of the people said, yeah, I guess that's right. At that point I just laughed. I said, when you're in an environment dealing with an evil spirit, one of the common tricks for evil spirits is to quote the scriptures. And I reminded them how when Jesus had quoted the scripture to Satan, man shall not live on bread alone, which by the way was the same scripture that the demon quoted. Uh, I said, uh, when when Jesus did that, the next temptation that Satan presented him was in a quotation of Scripture, taking him to the pinnacle of the temple and saying to him, if you are the Son of God, quoting Psalm 91, cast yourself down, for it is written, He will give His angels charge concerning you and they'll bear you up lest you should dash your foot against a stone. Satan knows the Scriptures. 
If you dwell on the earth, he will stump you with scripture. How did Jesus respond? Jesus responded, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. In other words, you are the servant. All angels are ministering servants. I am the Lord. It's not your place to tempt me. Jesus restored the nomos, the order, in an environment of anomos, antinomian, against the order. Now, look again. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. The mystery of lawlessness in principal part is to change the truth into a lie. That's why the evil one, the lawless one, will speak blasphemous things and great things. The great things are the scriptures, the blasphemous things are the way he turns the scripture as a weapon. Religious people will have no way of escaping this entrapment. He will trap you if you're just religious. That's why the scriptures say over and over and over again in the last days, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself saying, take heed that no one deceives you. Deception is the order of lawlessness, the intent of lawlessness is to deceive by reference to the truth without any intent to obey, but rather to license the behavior as if the lie is the truth. So let's go on, verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Now for our purposes, Here is a critical understanding. The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the Spirit. It's the word pneuma that's been translated here, breath. With the Spirit of His mouth. What comes out of the mouth? words. The Lord will destroy him with the spirit, not the letter of the law. The letter of the law will be used in an antinomian fashion because this is the lawless one. He is anomia lawless. He doesn't play by the rules. He cites the rules for his own benefit with no intent to obey. Have we now come into that time in the world where everyone tells, quote, their truth? And what is their truth anyway? It is that portion of the narrative that gives them the advantage. 
They frankly do not care about the truth. They don't care about the truth. Even the things they're saying that are masquerading as truth, they are anomia, lawless. They do not care about the truth. So there's a distinction between truth, meaning things that are true, and the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is described as the spirit of truth. When He, the spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Today, there is no spirit of truth present in public discourse. You know what the spirit of truth would require you to do as a speaker? The spirit of truth would require you to give redundantly all the information necessary on both sides of the issue or on all sides of the issue so that your listener is sufficiently informed and can make a decision consistent with the truth. When I was a young man, I would say things like, there is a number of people showed up at the meeting. Well, that's if I wanted to give an impression that a larger number showed up than actually did. Especially, uh, this was my attitude uh, when I was in law school because I learned in law school how to shade things to your end, the outcome you want. When the Spirit of the Lord got a hold of me, and in fact, I was baptized in the Spirit after I graduated from law school, I would spend a large amount of time making sure that the information I gave was accurately conveyed because I began to see how I would say the truth, I would say things that were true, but it was devoid of the spirit of truth. I wanted people to conclude what I wanted them to conclude and I told them only enough to get them to that conclusion and moreover, I told them in such a way as to get them to that conclusion. So I would, when I said a number of people, I would always reserve the right to defend myself. So if somebody said, you know, I later found out there were only like four people there, I would say, well then four is a number, isn't it? But that's the difference between facts and the truth. Now the reason I'm hammering this distinction is because this is what the post-truth era looks like. You cannot rely on what you hear on television. You cannot rely on what you hear on Fox News any more than you can rely upon what you hear on MSNBC because they both shade the truth to the end that they already have. And now some of these um, news orators, which is, uh, you know, op opinionators, um, 
their skill, their deceptive skill is in placing the issue as a question. Isn't it true that, or, or would you say that so and so did such and such or said such and such? Their purpose for doing that is to appeal to an audience that is already, that already has an appetite for deception. This is how serious this is. This is lawlessness. This is the lawlessness that you're looking at. Now I understand I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness and you may or may not choose to listen to me because you like your pundits. You like the people who fan the flames of your soul's arrogance. If you do, if you love these people who tell you what they want to hear and do so with the cunning craftiness of defending themselves while deceiving you. Isn't it true that so and so did such and such, said such and such? If you love that, you are already deceived. You are already deceived. Here's what it says, and then the lawless one will be, re- will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of His mouth and destroy with the brightness of His coming. That's where I want to focus the next broadcast. I'm Sam Solon, I'll see you then, bye-bye.